History Makers with Matt Prater. Coming off of drugs, you're going to have emotional problems, but I kept chasing after God. And he's using this vehicle to bring people out of the dark into the light. And I went forward and I knelt at the front, and it was a radical conversion experience. And that's where the big change happened, and that's where we decided we're going to use our music for God, we're going to change our songs. When I was about 25 year old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're chatting with Dr. Paul Browning. He's the principal at St. Paul's School in Brisbane, and uh, he's got a, a great story to share with us today. Welcome along, Paul. Tell us a bit of your background. Where were you born and raised? Morning, Matt. Yeah, it's great to actually be here this morning or with you today. Uh, where was I born and raised? Well, I have an interesting background story. I, I was actually born in Armadale in New South Wales, but uh, my parents were English and my grandparents, I got two pound pom type thing. After I was born, they moved back to the UK where my brother and sister were born. And then we moved back to Australia again and lived in Grafton. But I predominantly grew up in a country town just south of Sydney called Barrel, where Don Bradman comes from. And we lived a couple of doors down from where he grew up. Well, there you go. Well, we've got a few things in common there. I was actually born in Tamworth. And, oh, were you really? Yeah. And I, uh, my parents moved to Coffs Harbour when I was two. And I eventually found them and moved in with them and grew up in Coffs Harbour. <laughs> well, there you go. And I have a, a kind of a funny, ironic story too. I was doing a home group with a, a couple in New South Wales in Barrel. And we discovered that not only did we share the same birthday, but we were actually born in the same hospital. So that, that was quite a remarkable coincidence too. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. Is a, is a, can anything good come out of New South Wales? There, there you go. It can, absolutely. Oh, come on, yes. <laughs> Definitely. I'm always going to be a State of Origin New South Wales supporter, even though I live in, in Queensland. So it is State of Origin. Lots of good things come out of New South Wales. Oh, fantastic, mate. Now, tell us a bit about your faith journey. Did you have a religious upbringing? I did. My family has a, a long tradition of, of being a Christian family, uh, a long line of Anglicans. Uh, it's interesting to, to reflect on that. I kind of asked my parents, how far back does it go? Because I kind of look at the faithfulness of my grandparents and perhaps even great-grandparents and just their prayerfulness uh, because the family is a very large family and all very strong Christian family. So we, we grew up as Anglicans. My, my grandfather was a, an Anglican priest later in life. We have a number of priests uh, in our family as well, and, and bishop as well. But I grew up in a church in Barrel, St. Jude's Anglican Church. Uh, so really, really blessed to have that upbringing. But I guess uh, you know, a lot of people ask, when did you make it your own? When did you make the faith your own? And, and there was a couple of pivotal points in my life where I, I think I did actually make it my own. I, I was a, a member of a youth group called Young Life, which came out of America, but there was a couple in Barrel that planted a youth group in the town there, and not being very much to do on a Saturday night or Friday night uh, in a country town. You know, most of the youth went there, and we heard about Jesus there as well. And, and I think at that point, it really shaped who I was in terms of my own personal faith journey. And then another pivotal point would have been a Casillo weekend that I was sponsored to go on. And if you don't know about Casillo, it has, I think, grown out of the Anglican traditional church where people sponsor you to go for a weekend at spiritual reflection. And, and it was just a really powerful moment where, for the first time, I'm sure I heard God speak to me personally. So that really shaped who I am as a Christian. Well, fantastic. And I have heard of Casillo before and 
I know there's another one called Chrysalis and there's there's the Emmaus yeah. Walk. There's a few different versions of it. But the whole idea is just to get away from life for a weekend and um, so many people, they can say, yeah, that's when I really came to faith uh, from that weekend away at whatever retreat it was. Um, so tell yeah, us a bit yeah, of your story. Yeah. Did it change your life much after that? Oh, yes, it certainly did. I, it's, uh, I went in my early 20s when I was married, and it was the first Casillo in the Sydney Diocese, uh, and I was sponsored by some people in a church in, uh, uh, you know, out in the country as well. But it was a remarkable experience in the sense that, you know, the structure of the weekend, I think it's three days, the first part you spend in silence and just reflection, and that was pretty jolly hard, actually, to be silent, particularly when you were sharing a room with somebody you'd never met before. So how do you hold silence and not, you know, introduce yourself to somebody and get to know them a bit was very awkward. Uh, and then you know, the talks that we had, and, and what really staggered me is that the whole weekend was held up by 24 hours of prayer, and people who had been praying for me personally, you know, they had written letters as well to encourage me and each of the other participants. And the last service, we were kind of commissioned with that great commissioning of Matthew 28, verse 19, go and make disciples of all the world. And, and certainly at that moment, some just remarkable spiritual things happened. And, and I came away with that real commitment and heart to serve God by you know, making disciples uh, with uh, who all I meet. And tell us a bit more about your uh, career. Like, what did you do after school? Did you go straight to uni? What was uh, life like for you then? Uh, well, a typical boy uh, in a country town, I was good at mathematics and engineering science, and so most boys, you know, they go off and do engineering at uni, and, that, and that's what you do, and I, I really had no idea what I actually wanted to do when I finished year 12, none at all, um, so I actually took a gap year, and a couple of mates and I did the same, and I worked as a labourer for a surveying company for the year. It was a lot of hard work, but I managed to actually earn a bit of money and buy a car as a result. I lived out of home at the same time. I kind of learned a bit more about myself and what I didn't want to do. But in that same year, somebody asked me in the church, they said, oh, look, Paul, we need another Sunday school teacher. Do you, do you mind teaching Sunday school? And so I reluctantly put my hand up and said, yes, I would, but uh, discovered I was pretty hopeless. I was a terrible teacher. I actually really loved it. I, I enjoyed it immensely. So I thought what I'd do is challenge myself and learn something that I couldn't do, but obviously enjoyed doing. So I enrolled at Wollongong University and trained as a primary teacher. And out of 100 students that year, I think there was only about four or five blokes um, training to be primary teachers. And so I started my career as a primary teacher at a small country uh, school in, in Bowel again, or local to Bowel Medigong called Jibgate. Very elite school in the sense that I actually taught Jimmy Barnes's kids, uh, Mark Hopitz, who was the producer for In Excess, Billy Birmingham, 12th man. I taught his kids as well. So real opportunity. And that's, that's where I started my career. And tell us about uh, the next steps. What, what did you do after that? Uh, well, again, some remarkable things happened uh, there. Jibgate is not a Christian school. It's, it's you know, like many independent schools built on Christian principles, but uh, it was not a very big school. But uh, certainly uh, Casillo came back from that while I was working there and had a heart to actually transform that place. So I started a prayer group with uh, just one other person in the school and we met at lunchtime and so we just prayed together. Uh, but not before long, you know, the prayer group had grown to half the staff. Uh, and we were meeting together and praying once a week, which was just, that was a remarkable experience. You know, I, I grew, you know, I mean, it's a terrible thing to say, but I found teaching pretty easy and and, and I'm, I need constant challenge and stimulation. So, you know, I applied to be on a, on a board of a, a, an Anglican schools group in Cameltown and then I, 
I uh, decided I wanted to actually do more than that and be a principal myself, so I applied for a principal's job there. And then a, a new school was opening in Canberra called Bergman Anglican School, and it was starting just as a primary school. And so I applied for that role, and I actually won that job. And so I was the founding principal of Bergman Anglican School in the ACT, and I moved down there in 1998. We opened the door with 24 students, uh, and over the next 10 years, I, we managed to grow that school from 24 students to a thousand students and three thousand on the waiting list uh, wow. when I got the call to when I got the call to move to Queensland to St Paul's School. So again, that was a that was a real privilege. And basically, I think for me, it was more about having the opportunity to have a greater influence on the community, a, you know, a larger influence, increase my circle of impact, and so be obedient to God and, and create a place where people could actually explore their own faith and who God actually is. Mm, fantastic, mate. And I've heard about you recently because you spoke at a Christian Business Network breakfast uh, in the city of Brisbane, and I was curious to know, okay, so this is a, a private school principal speaking at a Christian Business Network. I, I want to find out the connection here. And then I heard a bit of the backstory about uh, at St Paul's, you know, some of the things that turned around uh, when you started there. For those who don't know, uh, f- fill us in the gaps with you know y- your role at St Paul's and, and how things turned around. Well, yeah, so Bergman was a, a great privilege, uh, and I'd been there for ten years, and I, I had a vision for that school. Uh, and clearly, by the end of that ten-year period, it was time to move on because the vision was completed. And it takes a certain type of person to actually be a pioneer and start a school. And if, if I continued working that same pace and energy there, I, I would have burnt the staff out. And our children were at an age where it was a good time to move. So I did apply for a number of jobs, and St Paul's was one that came up. And I was only keen on going to religious-based schools so I could actually continue you know, being an overt Christian in those spaces. Uh, and St Paul's came up, and I, and I moved here in the middle of 2008. Now, St Paul's, if people don't know it, is an independent Anglican school. It's pre-prep to year 12. We have an international school. It's some 60 years old. It started as a boys-only school in the early 60s. Uh, But when I arrived, I was struck by an oddity of the place. Great school, by all accounts, but underneath the surface of it, there was a real oddity. Um, And it took me a while to work work out actually what was going on. Uh, And it came down to a whole notion of uh, trust. Now, we don't often think of trust because we just enjoy uh, what it actually brings in the everyday life like we do with air. But when air is fouled uh, or trust is missing, it's only then we actually notice it and how important it is. But there was an absence of trust at St Paul's when I arrived and it was playing out in the way people related with each other. It was playing out in the life of the school, the actual physical environment of the school. It was just horrid. Relationships weren't great. I'd almost described the place as toxic. Uh, and I really wondered why the Dickens had God actually brought me to this place. And my wife kept on saying to me, Paul, I'm certain God has called us here. Uh, I don't hear God's voice as audibly as she does, but I was, she was certain that was the case. And as I started to dig and have a look at what was going on, it, St. Paul's School had suffered horribly in its history. Uh, there were two predators and probably more as well pedophiles who had been active in the school for 20 years in the early 80s through to the late 90s. First of all, a music teacher uh, who abused probably at least 20 students in the early 80s, and then a um, a counsellor by the name of Kevin Lynch, 
Uh, and he was appointed as a school councillor in 1989 and he continued on until 1997 when he was discovered and then committed suicide. Now, he abused at least probably 150 boys at the school. Um, before that, he was working at Brisbane Grammar School where he abused at least that same number uh, and then a number of street kids too. He, he's possibly Australia's worst pedophile. Uh, and the impact on individuals of, of abuse is just absolutely horrific. I cannot begin to tell you the damage it actually causes to a person. And then the ripple effect out, out from that, their relationships with their families, their lives, everything is changed. And then obviously the impact it had on the culture of the school as well. It was horrendous. Uh, and then in 2015, St Paul's was case study number 34 at the Royal Commission in Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. And for me, that was one of the toughest times in my life and, and the years following that. But understanding that there was a real absence of trust, I wanted to understand as a leader, how could I actually change the culture? Mm. What could I do to heal the place and move it forward? So I actually did a PhD, and my PhD study was a PhD into leadership practices that, that build a culture of trust. Uh, and that's what I, I spoke about to Parliament House at the, the, the breakfast, sharing the findings of that research. And I've actually shared that, the findings of that in a book I published in 2020 called Principled, 10 Leadership Practices for Building Trust. Uh, and that's endorsed by Tim Costello, and you can pick that up in any good bookstore or online if you like. Uh, and I've shared that in, in workshops I've run across the country and, and indeed in other parts of the world as well. Well, it is inspiring to hear how God has used you in the midst of that uh, you know, difficult environment that you, uh, you entered into. Um, give us an update now. What's the culture of the school like these days? Yeah, well, it's been a long journey. It has been an extraordinarily long journey. So if I, if, you know, I started here in the middle of 2008 and I naively thought that you know, when I come into the school, people would genuinely trust me and like me. It'll all be okay. I'll be able to turn the culture around pretty quickly. Uh, and that wasn't to be the case. I, w I was really naive. As I said, I had to do a PhD. I had to really reflect on my own leadership. I really had to dig deep into what was going on. And when the Royal Commission hearings happened, yeah, I had the real privilege, and again, I'm sure God spoke to me then clearly and audibly in the sense that you need to apologize. Uh, we need to admit the failings of the past. So we admitted why I got up in the, in the hearing, and I actually apologized at the end of the two weeks. And that opened the floodgates. Um, and three to four victims of abuse or their family members were contacting me every day, seven days a week for three months until Christmas Eve. And it was an exhausting period of time in my life where I just had to listen to the anger, the hatred, the uh, the shame, the hurt uh, of these people, uh, and just listen to them and acknowledge uh, them uh, to them that it actually did occur. That's all they really people want when they've been hurt or damaged. Is they they want to be believed and acknowledged and heard, uh, and then cared for, and then walked with them on their healing journey. And still today, I, I meet with victims of abuse and hear their stories. But one of the most powerful things that we did uh, is I didn't realize uh, when I was at the Royal Commission just the extent of the impact of abuse to the point where uh, people had actually taken their own lives because it was just such a horrific experience for them. And so I spent two years researching and I found 12 names uh, of students who had taken their lives because of the abuse that had occurred to them. And so with a group of past students, victims of abuse and their families, we built a memorial garden in the middle of the school. 
Uh, and we call that space the beginning of peace. And those names are actually there in that space there. And people come and visit that space. They leave flowers. It's a place of reflection. It's a place that our current students can actually reflect and leave their hurts to God. It's a deeply spiritual space that speaks of God and who he is and his amazing grace. Uh, and that probably was a real turning point uh, for the culture of the school and where we're at now uh, and helping to reestablish that whole notion of trust. I'm really pleased to say that now, you know, many of those victims of abuse have actually chosen to send their children to St. Paul's School, uh, which is an incredible thing to think about where many of them have never stepped foot on the campus since the day they left uh, because it was just too, too painful for them to do so. God is incredible in what he's actually done in those people's lives. And in addition to that, St. Paul's School has been recognised as one of the most innovative learning institutions in Australia and indeed the world. And we're doing some world-leading work in the space of education and particularly education to support young people to thrive in a world generated by AI and robotics. So, you know, I'm really proud and really amazed at what God's actually done here. Well, Paul, it's inspirational to hear uh, your story of what uh, God's done in your life. And if people want to find out more, uh, there's a great website I want to recommend. It's called compellingleadership.com.au, and there you'll find the link to the book Principled. Uh, also, Paul, you do workshops and presentations. You do work in Vanuatu. Uh, you've got a blog. I see all this great stuff on your website. It's so good to see uh, the platform you've got uh, to reach out to people with a message uh, that God's using uh, you to share. Uh, it's been awesome to hear your story today, Paul. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Matt, thank you very much. It's been a real privilege. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. There you'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater and my challenge to you now is to go and make history. Matt Prater's latest book is now available. History Makers, Devotions, Downloads and Dad Jokes. It will take you on a journey through God's Word and will hopefully give a few laughs along the way. It's just $15 plus postage. Order now at historymakersradio.com. Discounts available for bulk orders. The heart behind this book is to challenge people to get into the habit of daily devotions with Jesus. Find out more at historymakersradio.com. Station sponsor.